Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod, where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favorite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Daruk people, traditional custodians of the land where I am recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge Tangata Whenua of Te Whanganui Atara, where I'm recording today. Let's start on a positive note, and you can tell me some of your three best things from this week. Oh man, I had a busy week, but I had some really good things happen. So last night I made a birthday cake for my sister-in-law. Ooh. She got to blow out candles and like, even when you're 30 something, it's fun to blow out candles on a birthday cake. Oh, that's so nice. And it's lovely to receive that as well. Like some of my favorite memories is receiving baked goods. So yeah. I've been reading Erosions by Terry Tempest Williams, and it's really amazing, but I'm reading one essay at a time, like every couple of weeks. This line really got me this week. Um, We need not lose hope. We just need to locate where it dwells. I think that's really prescient, especially like things aren't as uncertain anymore, but maybe we still have a lot of hope work to do. Yeah, that's really poignant. Yeah, um, everything she writes is beautiful. And this book in particular is a lot about the environment and where she lives in the desert and her relationship with her dog and her husband's relationship with their dog and... I don't know. It's a beautiful book, so well worth reading. Mm-hmm. On the list. Oh, yeah. And then today, because it was my sister-in-law's birthday, um, I got to just sit and listen to her play piano for a few minutes. And it's one of the few things in my very busy brain where I can actually make myself sit and be still. I don't know what she was playing, but it was just really nice to have that few minutes of quiet and music and nothing else. Oh, how beautiful. I love piano playing as well. Like, I've got such a soft spot for pianos. (laughs) Yeah, she learned by ear. She can't read music, so she's even more amazing. Oh, wow. So jealous. I'm pretty sure that's witchcraft. Being able to play music is witchcraft, 100%. So tell me about your week. What did you get up to? Um, pretty, yeah, boring week, to be honest. But I've had a couple of really, like, nice moments, so... I had a friend over for dinner on Tuesday night, so I cooked for her and she bought a bottle of wine and we were just celebrating the fact that she's just got a new job and she's very excited and she's going to be moving cities. And it makes me sad that she's leaving me here in Wellington all alone, but I'm really excited for her and the opportunity she's going to have. And I think this is really cool. So yeah, it was nice to celebrate that. And then on Wednesday, I just randomly went to a gig with a friend who just had a spare ticket and it was a jazz band a brazilian jazz band and yeah wow that's <laughs> awesome that sounds really nice yeah it was just like really unexpected and it was like an hour long you know not music that i would normally go to see so yeah it was nice just to do something a bit different and spend it with friends so that was lovely and then i also did some baking this week i had some leftover bananas because you know there's always leftover bananas and I mm. didn't want to make banana bread or banana muffins because that's what I always do. So I googled this recipe for like banana choc chip slice situation and just made that. And I've basically been eating that all week. <laughs> okay, I think I need that recipe. That sounds really good. I'll see if I can dig it up again because it was just like one of those Google moments where I'm like, yeah, this one. Have you been listening to anything recently? I've been doing a lot of nostalgic listening. So I've been listening to... Um, 
Frightened Rabbit, which is my favourite band in the whole world, and their album Pedestrian Verse, which is actually a couple of years old now, like it's not their most recent one, but it's probably my favourite, and I think it, it has a song on it called December's Traditions, which it just really reminded me of like Thisbee and of Gabe and of mm. like just everyone's journey. There's a line in the song that sort of relates to different people and it just felt really kind of relevant. The chorus is like, you know, it's not the answer to stick a plaster on a shattered bone and then what do you need from me? And I'm like, I feel like Gabe's asking that. I feel like Puck's asking that. I feel like Sean's yeah. asking that. So yeah, that really just resonated with me this week. Every time I hear a Frightened Rabbit song, I hear something new from it. When I stop and pay attention, I just, it's like I get walloped every time i just love it so much it's just such a way with words and it like gives me goosebumps still after all these years good music should do that's true and they are very good music and they're very fitting like i think i read a review once where someone said they were the most scottish band that ever was <laughs> they're very scottish <laughs> yeah so they like it fits that we're in this ambiguously celtic atlantic island yeah you know salt wind sea all that situation desolate landscape Oh man, this whole chapter was like, and the themes we read it through, because we read it through belonging and vulnerability. I, like I went through it three times, like I always do, once reading and underlining and then two times audiobook. Mm. And I just felt like wrung out afterward. Yeah, it was quite intense, wasn't it? Like what really struck me was the kind of parallels you can draw between belonging and vulnerability. And this was something yeah. I wanted to put to you was like, you know, belonging is being vulnerable. Like you can't belong without being vulnerable. And I was, yeah, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think you're right. I was thinking about this too, that so many of the marginalia that, like the quotes that I picked, I thought, well, they work for both. There's not any one like, oh, this is only belonging or this is only vulnerability. Well, maybe there were a few, but most of them can be read in either theme. And I also thought that so much about being vulnerable is letting yourself open to the possibility of being hurt, which means you're letting yourself open to the possibility of belonging to someone or with someone or in a circumstance you might not belong to. Mm. And I definitely saw some echoes of that with like people who were choosing to step out of their place of belonging and leave it like Gabe. Yeah, I was thinking about this being like you can't belong without being vulnerable because to belong to someone or to belong to a place essentially means that it can be taken away from you and that is a vulnerability mm. you know you're yeah you've exposed yourself to that possibility just by yeah being open yeah this is definitely the beginning of where we start to understand that sean does have real vulnerabilities i thought yeah he was so callous before but now you're starting to understand that he has a stake in all of this yeah absolutely and just yeah it comes through so strongly any interaction with core or where core comes up it's like oh boy yeah it's a lot of feelings here yeah, that's Sean. He goes deep, very deep, like an iceberg. You just see this little skiff of white, but like underneath it's this hulking mass of feelings. Yes. Um, shall we do the summaries and um, then we can crack into the, the meaty bits? We should. We should definitely talk about what actually happened in this book. Okay, so chapter 11, Puck remembers her mother and reminisces about their family before. And Sean describes the Malvern stables, which I have a lot of feelings about. <laughs> oh yeah, let's. I can't wait to crack onto that. That's going to be amazing. Uh, chapter 12, training is set to begin. Peg, upon realizing that Dove isn't a water horse, tries again to talk Puck out of racing. In chapter 13, George Holly makes an appearance and charms everyone. Yes, he does. Chapter 14, Puck and Fen find a dead sheep on the way to Dory Mott's. Puck proceeds to the beach for training. 
In chapter 15, Sean has to rescue Dove and Puck from a water horse by killing it, and she in turn rescues him from drowning. He tells her and her pony to stay off the beach. Chapter 16. Puck eats a whole orange and it somehow manifests Benjamin Malvern, who threatens to evict them because why not be a whole entire villain? In chapter 17 and 18, Sean is training a, wa- a horse by swimming it, just a normal horse. Um, and due to Mutt's interference, the horse is lost. Oh, sad. Chapter 19, the younger Connollys decide to sell the Morris and they miss Gabe. Yes, they do. Gabe. Gabe. Cool. So shall we start with belonging? Yes, let's talk about belonging. Okay, well, why don't you kick it off? (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well, I went on this huge rabbit hole. I started out by thinking about Puck and her mother, because that's how the chapter, that's how chapter 11 starts. Puck's thinking about her mother. She's thinking about learning to ride. She's having this dream. And her mother says something like, it's easier to get a barnacle off a rock than it is to get a Keon woman off a horse. I was like, what are the, because I thought for a long time, what are these surnames? They must have meanings. And Keon is actually like son of Owen, but it's a really old name. And it comes from the same place in Ireland that Connolly does. Mm. So I thought that was really interesting. So you could kind of read that as Puck being a Connolly even before she was a Connolly. I loved that so much. I kept thinking about the belonging that she has not only to thisby but that the thisby ponies love to run and you can't get her off of a thisby pony yeah I, I definitely noted that as well and like this clannishness as well again through the the surname mention and just the way that mm. puck belongs to dove and on dove like she's an extension of her almost and yeah there's so many ways to, in which you can belong and belonging is also through tradition and heritage and this is idea from puck learning to ride from her mum is such a nice manifestation of that yeah and the fact that she compares the two of them and sees so many similarities like you know that they belong together because they have the same stubby hands and the same freckles and the same gingery hair and yeah and the the hair that's the color of the fall grass on thisby because they also belong to thisby and it's so beautiful i I keep looking for colors now after our first discussion where we were focused on looking for the colors and boy they're everywhere it's very colorful i love it I found a few other things that I thought were really interesting. Sean's really possessive about the beach. He keeps calling it my beach. And we talked about how he felt like it was home before, Mm -hmm. but that it wasn't something he could own. But it's still, what's that girl doing on my beach? Mm -hmm. I want to know what she's doing on my beach. And I love that he was so possessive about it. I thought, well, like, it's not really yours. No, you're absolutely right. You know, it's not something that he can own, but there is a possessiveness in the way that other people also see him as the owner of the beach. Like, as soon as there's any trouble, it's like, where's Kendrick? Someone get Kendrick. Let him just have a minute, guys. Oh, my gosh. He's Is there no one else? (laughs) I know, I know. I keep thinking, like... Literally, is he the only person who can handle water horses on this entire island? Like, And yeah, that's an interesting thing that I thought as well about belonging is that, you know, Sean mentioned both his mother and his father in this, uh, like our section. He quoted both mm. his mum and his dad. And he talks about his father's cloth that he drapes over the water horse. And there's this whole like thing. Like a morning cloth. Yeah, like a morning cloth, which is so symbolic of his relationship to his father I guess but also that his dad must have had the same way with these horses that he does like it's just it's a heritage thing I looked up the surname Kendrick as well and it basically means of the Picts like Pictish the names really stuck out to me because that's how you belong to a family and I think that's why I focused on them so much but the idea of Sean Kendrick being Pictish way back means that he is like the rightful heir of Thisbe and 
the one person you know who can manage and look after the Kapolishka. Like he is that person because he's been there the longest. Not him personally, but that lineage. Yeah, that's really interesting, and I think you know it's reflected in the way that he's the only one who's not scared of the horses. Like he talks about the stables being haunted and how the other groomsmen don't want to go near the horses in November. And so he ends up like mucking out the stables and yeah. And also the magic of the stables. Like, oh my goodness, I love it. Yeah, I want to go there. I want to see it. And when he talks about the stall at the far end that always has to be repainted, but you can still see the bloody handprint on the wall. The handprint, yeah. (laughs) Oh my goodness. But I think that she gets that mystical feeling and the feeling of the weight of tradition really well without it being like super gory, even though there's a lot of blood and gore in this. Yeah, there is actually. Just while we're on the topic of the stables, I thought it quite interesting that he also, like when Sean talks about the stables, he talks about it being like the church in Skarmouth and how old it is. Mm. And this idea that the church and the stable are the same. There's this parallel between them. Both are places of worship. Both are places yeah. of belonging. Both are ancient sites. I like how he said the stables were the oldest animal on the island. Yeah, because they're alive. (laughs) Yes, yes, I got that feeling too. I felt like this is something that he believes is alive. There's probably something there as well to investigate around the idea that the stables probably predate religious settlement of the island. You know, it's probably something that goes back because he talks about the runes over the stable doors. So they're probably Mm. more, you know, it's a traditional thing and then settlers came and they brought religion. But the stables are probably older than that. Yeah, I think they are. I mean, he definitely mentions that they existed before Malvern's name was even known on the island, Mm. which I think is really telling. One thing I really got was that everyone understands that Benjamin Malvern owns significant parts of Thisbe, but no one thinks he belongs in Thisbe. Yeah, that is interesting. He just, he's an other. Yeah, he's always viewed as an outsider. Like, Sean doesn't trust him, doesn't want to play his games works for him because of Kor Mm. and because he gets access to the water horses and because he needs a place to live, right? Yeah, it's a necessity, definitely. It's not that affection. It's not a familial feeling. Later when Puck and Benjamin Malvern encounter one another, you get the feeling that she's like, who is this guy coming in here drinking his weird tea (laughs) and running an island like a chess game? Like, she's not impressed with him. Yeah. And as you just mentioned, you know, about Sean kind of being the natural heir to Thisbe, then Malvern Mm. becomes such an extra, like, transplant. Like, it's not his stables. You're right, Sean. It's actually your stable. So... And he doesn't want the Malvern stables. He wants a roof over his own head and accounts in his name. Mm -hmm. That's such an achievable want, except... He just wants to be master of his own destiny with core. So what did you think about belonging? What's what struck you when we were going through this? Kind of fixated on George Holly a little bit because I thought mm-hmm. he was quite a good. Yes, I know you're a big fan of him and his vests. <laughs> he just seems so cute. Like he just seems so aware of his charm and like willing to deploy it and just easy with himself. He knows who he is. He doesn't have any insecurities. So American. Just putting it out there. <laughs> I'm just saying we are just so friendly anyway. It is lovely. It is delightful. Yeah, but it was like I thought about belonging in a different way with him in the sense that he doesn't belong. Like, you know, he doesn't belong. Like he doesn't Mm. belong on the island. He's come from over the the mainland or wherever he's come from, from America. But then also Sean knows that he belongs with the horses because he describes him as, you know, having the stick, which is like an extension of his arm. He's got a natural rhythm there. And it was just, it was quite telling that, Sean instantly respects him because he knows that he he has this way with horses. Sean goes from being 
kind of like, oh, this guy, to being like, oh, actually, he knows the stuff, and I like him now because he's complimented my horse and also <laughs> said he's a horse lover when actually he's like a tycoon, the same yeah. as Malvern is. It was just a very interesting thing, and it made me think about other things that don't belong, like... Sean doesn't think Puck belongs on the beach and Peg Grattan doesn't belong in the Connolly yard with her boots getting muddy and yeah. Malvern doesn't belong in the Connolly kitchen and yeah. Mutt, Mutt does not belong at the cove's entrance causing he mischief. He super does not belong on the... Yeah. No, exactly. And then, you know, I feel like there's something... This I don't know what there is, but, you know, in Father Mooneyham asking Puck to come to confession... And then also the stables being likened to the church. I'm like, oh, there's some religious stuff going in here. But I don't feel like Puck, mm. Puck doesn't strike me as someone who feels like she belongs in church, you know? So Yeah, it's a routine and a ritual. And that's really common. I've heard people say, oh, yeah, we go every Sunday, but they're not big church people, quote mm-hmm. unquote. Mm-hmm. Which means that they're not evangelical, basically. So I feel like church is more habit than not. And I wonder if did she stop going after her parents died? Like, is that when the last time she would have gone to confession or would it predate that, you know? Yeah. I did look up St. Columba because I was curious. And he's the patron saint of Ireland and Scotland, I think. Colmkilla, which is um, Columba. It basically translates to dove, which I thought was a really interesting parallel. Ooh, that is interesting. Yeah. So I thought there's a little bit of something there with dove and the church. Sean is at the stables, which he compares to the church. Like they're these two fixtures, ancient fixtures. Yeah, and yeah, that's really cool as well because like it's both tied to their horses, mm. which is you know ultimately for both of them they belong to their horses. Like Puck belongs to Dove, and Dove belongs to Puck, and Sean obviously belongs to Cor, and Cor belongs to Sean. And like there was this line where I was just like kind of took my breath away a little bit. We talks about you know Cor watches me, the mare watches the ocean, and I watch the girl. And I'm like, you're all watching where you belong. That's what you're doing. Yes. <laughs> I think I underlay that and put big stars around it when I was reading because it was just like, oh, my feelings. I, I actually got really mad when he was like, I don't know anything about this girl. She's nothing to look at. And then I'm like, why are you still looking at her then? Why do you keep going back to her? Oh, she's nothing special. Two sentences later, my mind wanders back to the girl. Sean, you have a crush. When he describes her, you know, he's like, oh, she's how she holds the reins and how sure her seat is. And then he's like, she can ride. And I'm like, yeah, you're impressed. But then he's like, but so can everyone on Thursday. I'm like, Sean. <laughs> I love that and it made me laugh because I thought here he is wanting to like he wants to be annoyed that she's there but he's also trying really hard not to be like yeah okay I'm impressed that I actually thought that was a good sign of belonging everyone on Thisbe can ride that yeah. was a really interesting because I don't know that everyone on Thisbe can ride Father Mooningham rides a, a bicycle. bicycle and apparently poorly if he keeps falling off it <laughs> poor Father Mooningham and it doesn't sound like Gabe or Finn really rides Dove I don't think they do Gabe has a bike and Finn has a bike, but Puck has a horse. Yeah, maybe it's just Sean's internal bias because he works with horses. He's just like, yeah, everyone rides. Um, I was just going to point out, I think Puck notices people's belongings. She assigns them correctly to mm-hmm. everyone. So it's her dad's armchair. It's Gabe's sweater that Finn is wearing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's her mom's sweater that she's wearing. Like, these possessions still belong to the original people, even if they're not around anymore to claim them or have them yeah and it's still her teapots even though she sells them to dory Maud. it's like yeah my teapots are going to the mainland i'm like well are they and it's funny that she said i feel weird about them going overseas but then don't they when the people buy them and take them away yeah they don't stay on the island have you never thought that they go overseas before is that the first time that's occurred to her it's quite cute 
It is really cute. I, I get that feeling. I love that that cheered her up. And also the idea of numbering them. She's like, oh, but we don't do that. Dory mods onto it. Listen, I think their surname is Fathom. Yeah. And I think Puck just hasn't figured that out yet. When she's like, I can't understand why it's called Fathom. And I'm like, you can't Fathom it? Ha ha. Good joke. And then I had, nice. to, I had to go lie down after being so hilarious to myself. <laughs> I did find it interesting. And I thought there was belonging in that as well. When she, Puck remarks that, you know, all three sisters agree that you should be called what you want to be called. Even though she'd never told them that she preferred to be called Puck. But this just innate ability of them to just be like yeah we see you for what you are and we're just gonna we're gonna roll with it when you were talking about people being where they didn't belong i was thinking about mutt how he treats other people's belongings really casually like he has a really callous disregard for his father's horse Mm. uh sean's boots which are obviously his only pair comes from money yeah he's got a lot of privilege there which is next week but man thinking about how he just like he killed a horse he killed a horse on purpose just because he was mad at someone and he wanted to show him up like it's actually psychotic like it's yeah yeah Yeah, he's like a fledgling villain he's not there yet he's trying real hard yeah he's a malfoy he is a malfoy it's just a a brute if you will no feeling except what he wants, basically. And you really felt for Sean as well when Fundamental dies. Because, you know, there's that line where he says, Fundamental, a rare cult, so close to the water horses that he loves the ocean like I do. That really just hit me right in the feels. And the mm. fact that Mutt doesn't have a connection to this horse at all. He wouldn't have spared a second thought. And Sean is just like, I was there when he was born. It was just, oh. Sean loves the horses like they're people. And Mutt is just interested in what the horses can do for him he just wants to ride core because core is fast and sean has one on core not because he loves core what does mutt love i'm yet to see any evidence that he loves anything i don't know i feel like everybody wants to love something even if they don't love something and mutt's damage to me smells like he hasn't had enough understanding of what it takes to be happy person maybe he doesn't know yeah. how to reach out and connect in a genuine way well he maybe blames sean for all his unhappiness he's like the reason i'm not happy the reason i don't love anything is sean kendrick's fault because he stands in my way yeah he puts me on these terrible horses so i never win it's like well no your father actually cares enough about you to tell sean to keep you safe that's a different thing Okay, well, shall we move into vulnerability? Because I do think they fit quite well together. And I saw vulnerability everywhere in these chapters. Tell me about it. Tell me about it. Well, I think there's so many ways that you can be vulnerable, right? Um, Mm. One of the most obvious ones is Puck and the Connollys being vulnerable in the face of poverty and like losing their home. Yeah. I feel like Puck ends up carrying that burden alone because Gabe won't come home. You won't face her or talk to her about it. And she doesn't want to put that on Finn. And I don't really know what Gabe's beef is, but he's clearly very vulnerable in different ways that we don't quite know yet. Like, yeah, you know, when he comes in and she's in bed and she just desperately wants him to sit on the bed like he used to do when she was little. And then she says, you know, he knocks on the door as if he's disappointed. Like, it's just too hard for him to say anything. Or do like come in or be anywhere near her. And it's like, I think he's disappointed in himself maybe in that moment. And that's why he can't face her. And there's vulnerability in that too, you know, the vulnerability of loss. 
Yeah, there's definitely, with Gabe, I see that he's trying, but he's just super bad at it. He fails in every way. He can't make enough money. He can't communicate. I feel like if he had just told Puck in the beginning, things are bad, we have to make these house payments, they would have gone out and found jobs. Like, there are about a million different things that he could have done. But I think in the face of trauma, all he could really do is bury his head in the sand and just keep moving forward one day at a time. But then it got so bad he felt snowed in maybe or... But I find it very hard to like sympathize with him in that moment because you know that your family are going to lose their house and you're mm. just like, well, I'm just going to leave. And they're children. Like, yeah. You know. Do you think he was trying to get out before that eviction notice? Yeah, I think he was probably just hoping that if he got out before, then he wouldn't have to deal with the fallout. It's a real avoidance yeah. thing. But also he puts them in such a vulnerable position having not shared that information with, you know, I get Finn that maybe you don't want to put it on him, but Puck probably deserved to know. And then she's completely blindsided when Malvern turns up and he's like, I'm evicting you. And there's such vulnerability yeah. in that and for her as well, like to be blindsided. That made like me that. so angry, not just because Gabe hadn't mentioned it or even alluded to it they thought the house was paid for she had no idea there was even a mortgage against it which is a huge like I feel like that's something when your parents die you sit down and you discuss that a reasonable time a couple weeks later and say this is what we're having mm -hmm. like, we're in these straits that would have given them time to find a different place or get jobs that were better than painting teapots right but he didn't do absolutely. it he just completely dropped the ball and I'm not sure if it was because he felt like he had to be the strongest person, like he couldn't be vulnerable, or if it was an avoidance tactic where he just thought, look, I can't even deal with it. I'll think about it next week or next month or next year. Hmm. I mean, grief, you know, is a funny thing and a terrible thing, and it affects people very differently. And maybe he is, you know, just incapable of processing that right now. But it's just so devastating when Puck says exactly that to Melvin, which is like, oh, I thought it was paid for. And he's like, well... Gabe Connolly knew and it just takes the legs out from underneath her. Yeah. Know? Like, oh. And the betrayal she feels in that moment. Yeah. It makes me mad at Gabe all over again because, like, so many of these things were avoidable. I always forget how terrible Benjamin Malvern actually is until he says, I wanted to see the look on your faces when I told you. What is yeah. his damage? It's just evil. Like, okay, he's a whole entire villain now. And what is this house to him? Like, he's a rich man. He's like, owns all the horses. He makes lots of money. Owns half of Thisbe. Like, he could let these orphan children live in this house. Like, it won't even He's very much him. a pirate. I feel like maybe mm. if he has enough of Thisbe, he feels like he belongs to Thisbe or belongs in Thisbe. But Sean even says at one point, like, I don't actually want what Malvern has to stables and 40 horses and the ability to come and go from Thisbe as I please. And I thought, that's really interesting mm. that he views Malvern as being able to leave. Maybe Malvern's not even on this island all that much. Maybe he just comes for the like the races and the rest of the time he lives somewhere else. We don't actually no, know. No, I think he's there all the time. I just think nobody likes him. Mm. Well, they do have a signed photo of him for some reason at the diner or yeah, whatever that the, the was. Pub. Well, he gave them money, right? And she's like, that's not a reason to have a signed photo. <laughs> that is so funny. Like, the more that I read her and the more I really study her, I think, now there is somebody who's got a specific set of opinions about literally everything. But I love it. Mm. It's so good. Um, Look, I know that they said that it was a special pen for the horses, but I really think that they're in, like, a kind of barrow. I kept mm, thinking, yeah. of it, like, this felt like the Neolithic burial mounds that you go into, like... And like Stonehenge is often thought to be barrel, although I don't think it is. But like it, it just felt old and ancient, even though it was new. 
and it felt a bit like mm. you're in this not quite grave cut into a hillside yeah it didn't appeal to me I have to admit like I'm massively claustrophobic and the idea of like going into this hole in the, the yeah. hill to like exercise a murder horse I was like mm, and no, um, thank you. that slight moment where George Holly looks away and he like glances at Sean and then Cora's like mm, a snack and like runs over to start chomping him and that's another thing, like the vulnerability of, you know, being prey because they are predators and even Kor, who is so well trained and, you know, so within Sean's control, still took that opportunity because he is essentially a wild animal. So he's like, yep, yep. snack time. Handsome American is a snack. Yes, he is. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's like everybody who lives on Thisbe is vulnerable to some degree because they're living in this continuously ambiguous, uncertain state all of the time. The weather is so mm. terrible you can't leave half the year. In October and November, you get magic murder horses coming out of the ocean to eat you or your livestock. There aren't a lot of jobs, so you're likely to starve. Like, it's a pretty precarious existence for everybody that lives there. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely an economic vulnerability across the island because they also talk about the fact that if it wasn't for the races, no one would survive on Thisbe. Like, the tourists that come over for mm. it kind of keep the whole economy going. Um, on the topic of your friend, George Holly, I saw a vulnerability in the way that he used language. So he was so careful with pronouncing Kapalushka. And then um, Sean makes the note that he starts to doubt himself later and he talks about that. And I just thought, you know, like as someone who does speak a different language and when you get into a situation where you have to use a different language, it's like you feel very exposed and very vulnerable in that moment. Like you yeah. don't want to upset anyone, especially when it's a cultural thing. You're like, am I doing this? Yeah, right? I noted that too. And I liked that. Uh, like, I like that he's comfortable enough to be vulnerable with Sean and be like, am I saying this right? Is it Kapel or Kapel? And like Sean was like, no, it's pronounced the same way. It's just spelled differently, which is like a they, they kind of thing, mm. right? could be singular or plural but yeah he's comfortable in himself and he knows who he is and he's okay with that vulnerability he's not stressed about it at all he's like yeah I'll I'll open myself up to this kid because I can see that he loves horses just as much as I do and yeah and that's where we see like the flips like people think of vulnerability always in this term of like weakness but there's real strength and vulnerability as well like it's a strength for George Holly there to be you know I am self-aware and this is an area that I am comfortable being vulnerable in and you know I was thinking about it in terms of so often when you're vulnerable like I was thinking you know this year I went through a breakup and there was this moment when it first happened where I felt really raw and really hurt and it's like you know I will never put myself in a position to feel like this again I never want to feel like this as a human again and then you get to the point where you're actually like no that the reason it hurts is because it was worthwhile and it's good and I've learned so much because of that and it's through vulnerability yeah. that you learn and grow and it's like such a powerful thing to go through, you know, that yeah. growing through vulnerability. Where so, did yeah. I hear it? Uh, I think it was probably on Harry Potter and the Sacred Texts, but um, all grief is just compost for love. Oh, Yeah, lovely. I wrote that down because I love it so much. And it lines up with something I say, and I have said a lot this year. I've got some friends who are going through a really, like, it's a really sad separation. I just kept thinking the whole time, like, there's still so much love between them and they still care so much about each other. Like, the separation is almost irrelevant because the love was so good for both of them and still is. Like, mm. no love is ever wasted. You grow by loving people and you get something from that. So there's, like, there's value in that, I think. Yeah. And you have to be vulnerable to reach that. You know, you have to be mm. vulnerable in order to experience love. And, yeah, that means you might get hurt. But actually that 
you, that's going to be worthwhile as well. Like the love is never a waste. So yeah. the vulnerability is never a waste. It just sucks. You get embarrassed. Yeah. Puck is embarrassed the whole time. I sympathize. I was like that as a kid. I still, like, I'm a lot better now, but there are still times when I'm like. I especially, like, especially when she talks about how embarrassing it would be for Finn to be pulling this cart. I'm like, that's not even your embarrassment. Why are you, why do you care mm. about this? But, you know, I was definitely like that. And I think all teenagers are like that. I think about I like this how a Finn lot. just doesn't seem to care. Yeah. He's just so not chill. something that bothers him, which is great. All of the things that bother Finn are, like, real things. Like, real-life problems. Like Gabe and the murder horses and whether or not there's a storm coming. Which there is. He knows there's a storm coming. It's days away, but he knows. Yeah, and he's preparing because he is preparation king. Um, Yeah, I definitely noticed that about Puck being, like, anxious. Well, I don't know if it's anxious, but embarrassed and nervous or scared. Like, there's a lot of mentions of her being she's nervous and... And then she gets grumpy as a result of that. Like she knows that she's feeling embarrassed and she knows that, you know, she gets mad at Finn, but it's because of Gabe and she knows that, but that makes her grumpy. And like, she feels like she's being thwarted by life. And just this idea of using anger as a shield for your vulnerability. You know, you don't want to expose your vulnerability. So you become angry. Like I've definitely been there. Yeah, she said that really beautiful line about what would my parents do in this situation when Benjamin Malvern was in her kitchen inviting himself in and demanding weird tea uh, she said they were unfailingly polite and private I am one of those things and she did not mean polite mm. so I think that she's just the kind of person who won't open up because well she's a Connolly and she has the Connollys for that and they all know each other so well that they don't have to be vulnerable with each other or she thinks mm. that's the case but Gabe suggests otherwise. Yeah, and there's also the vulnerability, the way she explains to Dory Maud what she's doing, you know, she, when she wants to leave the cart at the shop and she just, it's this fast run-on sentence where she's like, I have to get to the beach. Yeah. And this idea that if she just talks about it quickly, then no one will question her and the vulnerability of putting yourself out there, I guess, like actually yeah. going down to My the beach. My kids do that too. They'll say something when they think I'm distracted to try it on, like, Mom, can I have some ice cream? Thanks. And I'm like, ah, I heard that. No. <laughs> and then later they can be like, I told you though, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah, they try that one on with me too. I think Puck is trying to be invisible and that's to prevent feeling vulnerable. She doesn't want anybody to notice her. She just wants to get in, do the race, very secretly hoping she'll win, but not wanting any of the attention that comes with it. Just get in, do it, be done and have that time with Gabe. I wondered if there was some vulnerability in that around... Also not wanting people to know how financially struggling they yeah. are. Like she doesn't want to tell Peg. And they're very private, you know, and the idea of like Malvern seeing into the pantry, she mm. doesn't like She's that. aware that she doesn't look presentable when she answers the door. And I thought that the the scene where the car comes up the drive was really telling. Finn mm. bolts, right? He doesn't want to be there for it. He doesn't want to have to suffer the discomfort of giving money to people, bill collectors. Mm -hmm. he, he just mm -hmm. evaporates yeah absolutely and also the idea that the car is always bad news like they've mm. never seen a car in a good at context at least this time it was only peg a line that's jumped out at me which i thought was really funny but also really tragic in a way was when um dory maud says um why do you have that cat is she for sale as well has it come yeah. to that so you know people do know that the Connolly kids are vulnerable and are in trouble but it's also like lol yeah it's, you know? it's played for laughs but it's also a kind of sideways acknowledgement like we see that you are not doing very well we see that you're vulnerable and we see that you need help 
Yeah, and she insists on giving them tea, and it sounds like she always does that. So it's mm. like this opportunity of, like, she knows they won't accept help overtly given, but she can give it on the sly. Have you ever done that, where you've helped people and you've been like, this is really, like, you're helping me out, please just take this thing, like, oh, I'm never going to use this, and, like, it's, like, brand new in the box that you bought for them because you knew they needed it or something? Like, yeah. she presses this bacon on them, like, here, take this, we're never going to eat it. I can just see that she's really appealing to their Connolliness by being like no no you just have to it's gonna like we can't do anything with this you have to take it yeah and there's like it's because people you know you recognize that people have pride sometimes and that's mm. the reason they don't want to accept help because they can't admit that vulnerability to themselves so you it's a kindness to do that kind of hide it yeah <laughs> sneak it let in. them save face but also create that opportunity I love doing that that's my very favorite thing if someone needs help I'm like oh how can I do it in a way that they don't know <laughs> you're like a secret yeah, Santa like a ninja of niceness Oh, that's lovely we need more ninjas of niceness yeah it just strikes me as so sad because Puck doesn't actually know the dire straits that they're in you know mm. at the start of this and she's she's already worried about money and it's like oh lord it's gonna get worse yeah so much worse and there's, like there's nothing she can do she can't magic up a year's worth of missed payments no, just need to push Melvern off a cliff. Force. Lock him in the pen with Corin. Let him have a little snack. There we go. <laughs> Nature taking its course. Speaking of core, like I thought, one of the sentences that really struck me with vulnerability is when, you know, Sean gets down to the beach and he sees this girl down there causing mayhem. But there's this whole bit where he describes what's happening on the beach. So he's like, there is the surviving privet brother beating the grey kapal with the switch and Hale selling charms that will not save you. And there's Tommy Falk flapping at the end of a lead as his black mare strains for the salt water. And there was so much vulnerability in that. You know, you've mm. got the surviving brother. You've got charms that won't save you. You've got yeah. Tommy Falk flapping. Like, it's I just know, so... Tommy Falk. So pretty, so ineffectual. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's madness that they put themselves through this. These, you know, squishy little humans. Yeah, they're just insects. They're the dragonflies on strings. And Sean knows it. Like, he's super prepared. And he still does it. I love that he <laughs> talks about the deadly kapalishka he loves when he when he rescues puck which is i think that's the most obvious vulnerability it's mm -hmm, puck in the mm -hmm. water and then that horse grabs her the water horse grabs her and pulls her by her hood and drags mm -hmm. her into the sea and she does this maneuver where she's able to keep dove safe but she's dinner and so she's being dragged under and sean's like right well i just got to go rescue this person no big deal so he actually climbs in and kills one of the horses and I hadn't realized yeah. that there was a vulnerability until that point. Mm -hmm. Same. Yeah. Yeah. And then he talks about, I've killed one of the beautiful deadly Kapolushka that I love and I've yeah. nearly died. And it's like, wow, that is a, that's a powerful sentence. I love that they rescue each other, though. He rescues her yeah. by killing the water horse, which is a horrible thing. He doesn't want to do that, but he doesn't want to let her die either. Right. Like there's he doesn't give a fig about the guy whose fingers are lost. Like, eh, whatever. Shrug. When it comes to this girl that he's been watching out the corner of his eye for the past 20 minutes, he is there pulling her out of the water, killing a water horse. So that says mm. something to me right away that like she's caught him in some way. Yeah, because not even three pages before this, he says, you know, did no one tell them that pain lives on the sand, dug in and watered with our blood? Like, so much vulnerability. So blasé about death. 
all up until this point and now he's like wait no must go yeah, save pretty this much. girl he's like ah who cares what happens on the beach but you know this one person in the surf and her pony the other side of that is that she then pulls him up so that he can breathe so they rescue mm. each other like he saves her from one thing and she saves him from one thing i am um, i love how sean immediately picked that the relationship between dove and puck was important he noted it he saw it right away and i love that he is having that moment of knowing that her horse is whinnying for her in the same mm-hmm. way that core is always looking for him and he's always looking for core mm. and it's just again like the betrayal of gabe right because she says you know i'm going to make an idiot of myself in front of the entire island possibly get myself and dove killed for a brother who can't be bothered to come home anyway come yeah, on Gabe. I, I think that, that so her saying i'm gonna ride in the races and him conceding to stay, I would feel like that would be his opportunity to be like, right, so the last few weeks, we're going to spend this time together. And instead, he's even more gone. He has disappeared more thoroughly already. I don't understand why he would agree to stay, right? If this is how you're going to behave, why even yeah, stay? Yeah, like, what's the point? If you're just going to leave them to starve, be evicted, possibly be killed, like, it's like he psychs himself up to try and do the right thing, and then he just... Like he gets 95% of the way there and then just can't do it. Gets to her door, stands there, can't say anything. Mm. And I think that's how Puck feels in that moment as well. You know, she's like, why, why am I even doing this if I, you know, all to buy these weeks to spend with my brother when he's actually not even present? So what is, mm. you know, the, the end goal was to buy this time with him, but this is not actually delivering that. That scene, the beginning after her dream and she's waking up crying and he's standing at her door. I want her to say, come in, but she won't let herself say it. She's so hurt by him that she won't open up and be like, please come in and sit on my bed like when we were kids. Yeah, she needs to be vulnerable in that moment and just ask him to come in, but she can't allow that either. She can't allow herself to do that. Comes back to that mind reading thing, like expecting people to know what we need without actually communicating our needs. Yeah, you know? but there would be no book if they just talked to each other. So Oh, and there'd be no art if people talked to each other. <laughs> Maybe we should be grateful that they're all really bad communicators. <laughs> I mean, that comes up again, like, in Puck's last chapter in this section that we read, where she has this little, you know, her and Finn are sitting there waiting for for Gabe to come home, and they've made dinner, and they've got the apple pie on the table, and they're waiting, and, you know, she asks herself, how are we supposed to know if he's working late, or if he's dead by the side of the road, and how is he supposed to know if we're home safe or dead by the side of the road, for that matter? And Finn is the one who finally says, it's like he's already gone. Yeah. And I really felt that, because... There's such disrespect in that moment because sometimes it's not about it's not about wanting to control Gabe or what he does with his time, but it's actually just wanting to know that he's There's okay. a social contract on Thisbe, isn't there? If you belong to the island and you smell that smell, you stop and check that it's a sheep and not a person. And mm-hmm. you just have to do that. So by belonging to Thisbe, you accept that you have this set of vulnerabilities about where you live, but also part of belonging means that you will be checked on and other people will check on you. Mm-hmm. And they're scared that without that framework around Gabe, they're not going to know if he's okay. Mm. And once he goes to the mainland, they won't yeah, know Yeah, exactly. Like, they'll just, it'll be ambiguous forever. That's really yeah, tough. That's, I mean, it's a hard loss, and I can see why she thinks it's just as bad as him dying. Because how mm. would they know if anything happened to him until it was way too late to do anything? They do mm. have to mourn him all at once when he goes. I was just thinking... Um, my husband has this saying, priorities are observed, not declared. So you can say you care about something, but unless you're actually in there doing the work, it's irrelevant, right? 
when we start to realize that like we all we've always known from the beginning that Sean loves core because he talks about core and he spends all his time with core so we can see by his priorities he's declaring without saying that his love for core is like genuine and true and big um, but it's the first time he actually admits that he couldn't bear the thought of parting with core of not riding mm-hmm. core in the races that we understand that this is something he is actually going to talk about and that's when he makes himself vulnerable like to us the audience and i love mm-hmm. that we finally get that i'm like yes tell us more sean yeah i definitely saw that as well you know just the vulnerability the fear he feels at the thought of george holly even being able to buy core like he, he's fairly sure that Mulvern won't sell him but he can't mm. always be sure and then there's yeah. also that fear of mutt riding core and not understanding him and, yeah yeah. And I think, you know, Sean's always going to try and do the right thing for everyone. But Core is the biggest part of everyone in his mind. So hmm. him not being with Core is sad for him, but it's worse for Core because people don't understand Core the way that he does. Yeah. And the vulnerability he has in allowing himself to dream, you know, and sharing that with the, the audience like this. Yeah. I imagine myself having a stable, but I don't actually want a stable, you know, like that kind of back and forth is just... I want for Sean to be okay with being a competitor to Malvern because I think that once he actually does start realizing his ambitions and going for them, which he will do, Malvern will have no foothold on the island anymore. Because Sean has all the respect, really. But I think part of the reason that Malvern won't sell core is because he knows that once Sean has core, he doesn't have Sean anymore. Yeah, because he's a tycoon, you know, he's a shrewd businessman. Not sentimental or generous. That whole thing about when people tell you who they are, believe them. And he's told us from the start. Who is Mutt's mother? I don't know. It's a mystery. I have so many questions. Who is this woman? Was she eaten? Maybe she lives on the mainland. I don't know. It's a weird thing. Like their, their relationship is very weird. It's very weird. I have no love for Mutt. No, I'm trying to come from a place of empathy. I really am. Because I feel like it would be very hard to have a father who's basically an actual villain and yeah. still be a good person. Yeah, there wouldn't have been much nurturing going on there. No, and it, like it, it's the smothering and starving thing. So like everything that Mutt wanted, maybe almost everything he's ever wanted, he's been given. But the one thing that he wants, his father's love and approval, he can't get. And he feels like it's because he's not riding core and winning the races. But it's actually just because Melvin is incapable of love and affection. <laughs> Yeah, and like the things that he prizes and values, which is Sean's ability to communicate with the water horses and train them, as well as normal horses. Like, Sean is the head trainer. Like, he is running the stables. He is actually running the stables. He's very important there. Mutt just lingers like a bad smell and does nothing, as far as I can tell. It's one of those things where people always, if you're really good at your job, some people will always resent you because they think that your job's really easy and you're getting undeserved praise. And I feel like that's what Mutt thinks of Sean. He's like, oh, how mm. hard could it really be? Like, it's not that hard. And yeah, then... like he grew up on Thisbe. He knows the lore, but he doesn't actually know what he's doing. And because he's no good at it, his father doesn't have any respect or time for him. But I also don't feel like he makes any real effort to actually achieve that. He kind of just expects that it should come to him because of who he is. And then just the complete callousness of, like, poor fundamental ending up in the water. I think that was hard because, like, the dog was hard because it was a dog. Fundamental, losing fundamental was just such a blow. Um, I actually got my friend Lewix to read this. She's another gen because um, there are so <laughs> many of us. Um, but I got her to read this book a few years ago, and she texted me, and she's like, I'm really angry at this chapter. And I was like, well, why are you angry? She said, why are they going swimming? It's 
October. And I was like, yeah, okay, fair point. And she's like, it just makes me so mad. I get mad every time and I have to stop reading and put it down and be mad and then I can go back to it. Yeah, that's interesting because it's kind of like, you know, Sean talks about the cove being very easy to protect and they put someone on watch and it's very easy to get the horse out of the water in time before they get, you know, pulled under by the water horse and all this stuff. So that's something they've done so many times and they feel that they've got all the things in place to make it safe. But nothing is foolproof, right? I found it just so callous. Like, you know, the whole, the dog obviously was horrible What he, reading that whole bit about the dog being killed. But that was almost like an accident. It was just nature. It was the, the water horse being a water horse. Whereas this was orchestrated. Like, Mutt saw that, you know, water horse coming into the cove, did nothing, and watched... He set it up. He is a accessory to horse murder. It's framed that way on purpose. Like, we're meant to despise Mutt for this action. I was thinking about, like, what kind of desperate things you would do when you were stuck and you felt really trapped. But I still don't think that justifies, like, killing, a, like, a whole horse. I mean, it's also his, like, if that's his father's money, that's his money too, right? He just wasted an entire horse, which is a terrible thing. But, like, from a purely economic standpoint, it was just a dumb business move. It just feels cruel. Like, it's so obviously targeted at Sean and making Sean hurt. But I did, I found it interesting that Sean was so willing. He just throws himself in the water. Like, did you, it's quite a mad thing to do. And also, like, do none of these people get hypothermia? That is going to be so cold. (laughs) And this is the second time today you've been in the water. Like, what are you doing? Just circling back a little bit to belonging, we get all of these signs that Sean belongs with the water horses and he belongs to the island of Fisbee and like he belongs in the role he has as being the person that everyone calls. But Puck belongs to Fisbee, Mm -hmm. the land. She's the same color. Later in the book, we get this fantastic statement from Sean where he says, you know, someone asks him what he wants and he says, the sea, the sky, the sand and core. And I kept thinking about Puck in all of the colors her hair is the color of fisby grass and her eyes are blue like the sky and the sea and sand can be like freckles and she's very freckly and coarse so what does he actually want like he wants fisby but also all of those things start to mean puck as well yeah i definitely see that parallel in the way they describe like he is of the sea and she is of the land and fisby is a marriage of both of those things it's the sea and the land and it's just because he's described as being very pale with dark hair like the black sand and the chalk cliffs and the dark sea right Mm -hmm. but she's all the warm tones she's like the ruddy colors gingery colors Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. sean very clearly says in this section that he has no intention of ever returning to the mainland he treats it like he's not able to it's not even an option for him, yeah, right? Yeah, he, he has no interest, but also, I don't think he would go anywhere he couldn't take core. Mm. George Hawley offers him a job, like, the next minute, and he's like, yeah, no, sorry. And he has a lot of money saved, all this money that he saved to try and buy yeah. core, so money's not an object for him, really. He could have a house, a roof over his head, and accounts in his name at Grattans and Hammonds if he wanted, but he can't do that without core. He won't do that without core. Mm. Even if that makes him you know, beholden to Melbourne and all the horribleness that comes from that. That guy is the worst. Ugh. And I got really annoyed by him, like, having his weird coffee with the butter in it. I'm like, they don't have money for you to be taking their butter and putting it in your tea? What are you doing? And he knows that. He's just being nosy so that he can be cruel later. He's looking for her vulnerability so that he can then poke at the soft parts under her armor. 
Was there any other things that stuck out to you? Yeah, I, I like that Puck correctly assesses that on an island full of monsters, he's the most monstrous of all of them. Like, she knows that he is doing these things and that they are horrible and that it is not what you should do on Bisbee. I found it really interesting that Puck starts talking about the race and, like, allows herself to think about winning the race, but as a means to, like, avenge her parents. Yeah, it hasn't come up previously, but she has this whole thing about, you know, beating the horses that killed my parents on a pony that I'd grown up on. And then she also says to Melvin, like, I won't dishonor their memory by riding one of the horses. And it's this kind of this catalyst for her to really think of this as like a moral victory over over nature almost. Even though the water horses love Thisbe and belong to Thisbe in a way that they belong nowhere else, mm-hmm. she belongs to Thisbe more and she wants to win on her terms. Yeah, on a pony she grew up on. What else did I want to talk about? Oh, you know what else I really enjoyed? When Puck gives us her assessment of the Carroll brothers, it's almost exactly the same as Sean's assessment of the Carroll brothers, being like, one's got terrible lungs and one's got no no brain, basically. And they've both read them exactly the same because they are the same person. They do this later where they both critique the writers from their position on the cliffs where they're both standing there. But yeah, I like that they think similarly enough that their communication when they actually start talking doesn't become a problem. I mean, we talked about Sean being maybe so distant or so intimate in his relationship with his father that he couldn't really, like they didn't really know how to say goodbye. And it seems like that's really similar for Puck and her family. Like they're almost so close that because she's so close to her family, they can't communicate. But she and Sean have enough distance, but are still close enough that they can actually connect, which I really appreciate. Yeah, that's a really good insight. Yeah, and it's all non-verbal. A lot of both Sean's communication with his dad and well, especially between Gabe and Finn, you know, it's non-verbal. And it's mm. just as I, it comes down to this idea where I feel like Puck just wants Gabe to read her mind and do what she wants him to but do. she's able to talk and she is able to communicate. And therefore, unlike Finn, who he is very non-verbal in a lot of ways, they mm-hmm. kind of do have to rely on their own observations to draw conclusions about how he's doing. But Puck should be able to say it. And Gabe knows that, and he's counting on her not to, so he doesn't have to do the thing. And I think I'm so critical of Gabe because I feel like he is the older brother, and he is quite a bit older. I totally understand and I empathize that, you know, it must be incredibly difficult for him to lose his, his parents and, like, to be in, shoved into this role where you have to look after these two kids. And it's just like, well, not that Puck's a kid, but, you know. He has two dependents. Um, yeah, I just also feel like he needs to he needs to step up. You need to step up, Puck Gabe. loves Gabe, but he has broken that trust. And he's betrayed them lots in the last few weeks. And she's just now realizing like the magnitude and scale of his inability to really be the person she thought he was. Mm. And all the while she needs to survive this race that she signed up off on this kind of weird yeah this whim to keep him around now she's like oh i don't even want you around but she when someone makes a gesture like that was a huge gesture that was a huge i love you please don't go Mm. and he's like all right i'll stay but he isn't actually staying he's just you know what physically gone saying that it's just reminded me of my breakup again because as you know my ex was like I don't want to be in a relationship anymore and I was like well shall we try you know let's try and save it and for me that was a big gesture and a big vulnerability and I put a lot of myself into like trying to salvage this relationship and he did a total gape where he was like yeah okay but then that's where it ended there wasn't any reciprocation from that like there wasn't any follow-through 
you're trying so hard, but the other person just isn't. But the other person thinks they're trying because they had agreed to stay in the first place. And it's like... Like that was the, as much effort as they could put into it. Yeah, it's just this weird unequal footing that you suddenly find yourself on where, you know, Gabe probably thinks he is trying because, wait, isn't he staying? And it's like, no, Gabe, that's not enough. <laughs> Um, okay, so is there a character you'd like to spotlight this week? Yeah, look, I think I'm going to probably pick Puck every time because I love her. And I think she's plucky and brave and good. I, I mean, I wrote down, she's hanging in there by a thread and the knife keeps swinging closer, but she's just going to be tough about it. Like, she just keeps saying, okay, we're going to solve this. Like, I just need a little more time, but then I will solve it. And in contrast to her brother, who just can't do anything... She's just brilliant. She's trying and she keeps trying. She falls off the horse. She gets back on it. I love it. Yeah, she's amazing. That's so true. How about you? Who do you want to spotlight this week? I wanted to spotlight Sean Kendrick, both for jumping into the water to save Puck and Dove and also for jumping in to save Fundamental because it's so reckless and so brave, but just done with so much goodness, you know? Yeah. But fundamentally, I also just wanted to celebrate the fact that he is really good at his job. Like, he is amazing. He is competent. He is the best that there is. And that is literally one of my favorite things. Like, I love people who are just very good at what they do. And I think it's just such such a testament to him that he just puts up with the fact that people are resentful of the fact that he's good at his job. And he's that doesn't make him any worse. Like, he just keeps keeps cracking on and he just does the best that he can. And even though he knows that, you know, Mutt has it in for him, that doesn't stop him from jumping into the water after fundamental because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And so if there's anyone out there who's like having a tough time because someone might be teasing them for being really good at school or is, you know, giving them a hard time at work for not being too good at their jobs because it happens, you know, I just want to give yeah. them a big hug. <sighs> All right. Well, that's exciting. Next week, we're reading chapters 20 to 27 through the themes of pride and privilege, which I am very much looking forward to. Oh, it's going to be so good. All right. So I will see you next week. Very excited. See you next week. Thanks for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Gen D and Gen V, with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoyed it, we'd love if you'd subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. Your support means the world to us. We'd also love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com. Our music is by Scott Buckley. Many of the things we've mentioned are in the show notes, or you can find out more about us and the podcast at marginaliapod.com.